Hello everyone, this is Pastor Scott. And this is Pastor Don from Good Samaritan Lutheran Church here in Las Vegas. And you're listening to Good News from Good Sam, our podcast. This is where we go deeper into our weekly message and give you some spiritual food for the week. So we hope that you enjoy listening today and always feel free to share it with some of your friends as well. Absolutely. We just hope that our time together today will bless you and that will bring you a little bit closer to God and His love for you. Live from Las Vegas, it's Deeper at Good Samaritan. So let, who preached last week? <sighs> I did, so it was long and boring, but we're going to talk about it anyway. Well, it wasn't boring. <laughs> <laughs> I, I pulled out one of my oldie but goodies. One of my favorite stories is the story between um, Arthur uh, Bressy and a guy, his good buddy by the name of Skinner, who were just... Uh, Buddies growing up, they went to high school together, they they double dated, and uh, when Arthur decided to join the military, Skinner decided to join it as well. They went to basic training together, which I think is just uh, awesome. These guys were best of buds. They even took the same troop ship from San Francisco Harbor out to the Philippines, mm. where they were stationed with two different troops. Um, Skinner was assigned to... Um, it was a place that fell first when the Japanese attacked the mm. Philippines. A Corregidor, I believe. And then Arthur Bressy was assigned more to one of the mainland defensive areas. And so Corregidor fell first. I think I, I think I have that wrong. But anyway, where Skinner was assigned fell first. So he was a captive with the Japanese for about two months. Um, participated in the Bataan Death March. And then Arthur's group eventually surrendered uh, about a month and a half later when they were surrounded and cut off from any kind of supplies. And Arthur wanted to find his friend. You know, he'd been a captive now for several months and um, had heard that his friend Skinner was a captive through the prison grapevine and went to find him and found out he was in this place called Zero Ward, which is really, that's the place they basically send prisoners to die. This is when they get really sick. They're no longer able to work. It's really close to where they would bury the bodies. And when he found out his friend was in, in, in zero war, he needed to go see him, thinking it would probably be one of the last times he would see him. And so he got on a work detail, and while he bribed a guard to get about five minutes, and so he was able to go to the fenced area where separated where his work was from zero war, and he called out to his friend, and um, he said his friend kind of came... I'm trying to remember the exact way he put it. He said uh, he came stumbling towards him, uh, more dead than alive. It was 79 pounds. Mm. Skinner was not a short man. 79 you, you pounds. You showed that picture in the sermon I, just in person, and it was amazing. I mean, that he was even alive at that mm-hmm. point. I, know. I think about that, 79 pounds. He, he, so that's that how much you weigh worth. when you're like fourth grade. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my gosh. And... Uh, <laughs> And so, you know, he just, and he had, you could tell that he'd had a lot of the diseases. His his eyes were yellow. His skin was, you know, uh, yellow. He had scurvy, beriberi. Uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember a couple of the diseases in the story that talks about it. So he literally was a dormitory for tropical diseases. Obviously, he got to the point where he could, he could barely eat, barely drink. Um, he just basically just waiting to die. And Arthur had smuggled a class ring 
in and he kind of had a kerchief that he wore around, you know, and he had a, a big knot here. And in that knot was this class ring. And he made a decision that literally could have cost him his life because he was saving that ring. Because if he got caught with that ring, he could it would, first it would be taken from him. And then second, he'd probably get beaten pretty badly for hiding something from his Japanese captors. And he quickly undid the knot, took the ring out of it, and handed it to his friend Skinner, who tried to protest, but Arthur would have none of it. And he just uh, he gave it to him. He said, use this. Or I think he said, use it to wheel and deal, I think is the phrase he used. And then he walked away. But he said initially when he saw his friend, they sat there and looked at each other for two to three minutes, neither of them knowing what to say. I mean, Skinner, because he was so weak and just overcome with emotion at seeing his friend and Arthur because he was overcome with just how bad his friend looked. Um, and the, the story is that Skinner approached the nicest of the guards a couple days later, gave him the ring. Um, you know, the guard asked him if it was valuable, and Skinner told him it was very valuable. It was a gold ring, a pretty large class ring. Uh, so a couple days later, the guard walked by and dropped some sulf- sulfonide tablets at his feet. Uh, which helped him fight off some of the diseases. And again, a couple days later, a couple of limes, which he was able then to use to help fight off some of the scurvy that he was experiencing. And uh, a couple of days later, a little some extra food rations. A couple of days later, a little bit more food. And even though it was a chance that he would never get well because he was so sick, he did start to get better. After a few days, he started to get a little bit more strength. After a couple of weeks, he was walking around uh, without pain in his legs and his feet. And then after two months, he walked out of zero ward. It is. Uh, As far as Skinner or Arthur know, he is the only, we don't know this for sure, but he was the only man to ever leave zero ward alive. All because his friend took a chance on him, um, giving him a ring, not even knowing if it would do him any good. He was so far gone that Arthur gave up something that he might have needed to use to barter for stuff to keep himself alive. He gave it to his friend, not knowing if it was going to do him any good, but giving it to him anyway just because he cared about him. And this kind of leads us into this idea, our fourth theme under resilience is share what God has given. And uh, using that story as a backdrop, it uh, leads us to the first point, and, and that is simply that when we share with others we share our care the phrase i came up with i don't know if i like it or not it can increase their resilience mm-hmm. right I, it wasn't even so much the i think just as important as the ring uh, the actual physical object that skinner got from his friend it was the belief that his friend gave mm-hmm. it to him and said don't you give up you're not done here. Mm-hmm. I am giving you this very valuable thing. And and that means I think you have a chance to live. I think you have a chance to get out of here, which you probably need to hear because I'm sure I'm assuming he knew that anybody yeah. who went to zero ward was basically a dead man walking. So um. yeah, I, I I mean it's a powerful story. Mm-hmm. And I, I absolutely agree with you too. Not only is the ring but the belief gave Skinner resilience mm-hmm. and um, and the words gave Skinner resilience and, and obviously and we're going to be talking I know more about that too but we can take that and appropriate that in our lives as well and help give resilience to other people even as they give it to us right 
you know, sometimes people just need to know that we haven't given up on them. You know, mm-hmm. and we, you know I've talked with family members who have uh, loved ones who are addicted to drugs or are really making bad choices in their life. And they always struggle with this. Well, I don't want to continue to, um, what's the word I'm looking enable. for? Enable. Enable them. Um, but I don't want them to think that I don't love them anymore. Tom, you've, you've, you've struggled uh, with um, family members who, who have had issues with stuff like this, right? Mm-hmm. So you understand how hard it is to walk that fine line between still believing in somebody, still loving somebody, but not doing things that enable their behavior. And I, mm-hmm. get, I get that that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Um, and when you show that you care about somebody, not only can you maybe give them the resources they need to get better, but you also give them the emotional resources that they sometimes need. But when we do this, we're really not doing anything special because we're only doing what God has first done for us. Right? And that's really where we bring in this idea of the prodigal son. Because, Pastor Scott, you know the story of the prodigal son. I do. I love that story. Good story. Give it, us, give us, outline it for us. Well, basically, the deal is this. Um, Jesus, of course, is the one telling the story. Right. He's giving an example, telling a story. It, it's, it's to let people understand what God's like. And so the father in the story is uh, God. Mm-hmm. And two sons. And the youngest one, and I, I get it because I'm the youngest of four boys in our family. <laughs> the youngest one wants his inheritance now. And so he goes to his father and says, give it to me now. Now, I mean, normally, when do you get an inheritance? When this person dies. <laughs> exactly. When, when dad's gone. <laughs> and uh, so for the son to even ask that is basically saying, you're as good as dead to me. Uh, I yeah. just want my money very and get out of here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to Vegas, baby. I'm going to Vegas. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so the son, the father gives him the money, gives him the inheritance, if you will. The son goes off into a strange land, foreign land, uh, guess what, squanders all his money on loose living. Mm-hmm. Yeah, imagine that. Mm-hmm. And then the friends he had are gone, imagine that. Yeah. And he finds himself, uh, you know, just in this terrible situation. He sees pigs that are getting fed and he begs, you know, if I could just eat the pods that the pigs are eating. And, and the thing to understand is that, you know, Jesus is Jewish, he's talking to Jewish people, and the pigs are not a clean animal for the Jews. So, I mean, this is like... The lowest of the low. Exactly. You know, something we wouldn't appreciate quite as much. And probably my favorite part of the story, and I know you hit on this too, Pastor Don, is that the son decides it'd just be better to go back home and be a servant for my father. Because at least they're eating. Exactly. Mm -hmm. They've got food. And uh, so he goes back, and the Bible says... Jesus says in the story that the father sees him from afar off. Mm-hmm. And so the, the implication is is that the father's watching for him. Father's waiting for him. Mm-hmm. And, and knowing that that's God in, in the story is a source of tremendous hope for us because God's just waiting for that lost son to come mm-hmm. home, mm-hmm. watching for him. And he does, and... You know, much to the dis, uh, uh, despair of the older son, <laughs> yeah. he's welcomed back. Uh, party is thrown. Mm-hmm. Feast is given. Uh, uh, you know, he gets a robe. He gets sandals. He gets and a ring, ring, which I loved the tie-in to your yeah. story. He gets a ring, um, which symbolizes this man has the authority of my house. So basically, he's not just welcoming him back. He's saying. 
he has now been, been given back full rights as the head of this house, in which it just doesn't seem fair, right? He should at least have to earn it a little bit, yeah. don't you well, think? the older son was, yeah, come yeah. on, this isn't right. I've been staying here. You're throwing a party, you're giving him his authority, putting the nice robe on him, killing the fatted calf. I've been here the whole time, which is interesting because we don't talk about this in That's the sermon. Right. But if you remember the, the father's response, he says, of course I love you. Everything I have is yours. But this brother of yours who is lost is now found. And yep. then he says, who is something is, is now saved or something like that. And basically just says, you know, if I want to celebrate a lost person finding their way home, that's my prerogative. Yeah. You still get all the benefits exactly. of it, being here. It isn't like you. Right. Yeah, I get it's human nature. Now we're getting off tack yep. because that's not part of the sermon. But just this idea, because I love this phrase, while he was still a long ways off, I love this, the father saw him coming, and right here, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, and he embraced him. Filled with love and compassion, right there. That should tell you God's attitude towards you, even when you wander away, even when you you stop going to church, and you stop praying, and you start kind of living a little bit more selfish lifestyle. We all wander away at times. To his father, you're dead to yeah, me. Yeah. I'm leaving. Yeah. So, I mean, people sometimes feel really guilty because maybe they've said something to God or they've turned their back on God and there's no way God's going to... Nah, that, this story refutes that and says, no, God is welcoming and God is wanting you to come home. <clears throat> there's a text from John 13 that reinforces this. Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand he's getting ready to leave and he's trying to get them to understand how he wants them to relate to one another. And so he says, now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. Let me repeat that again. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And then he goes on to say, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Um, once again, Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he has not first done for us. So it's not like he's just like, yeah, go love each other. Good luck with that. <laughs> right? Um, this the idea of caring for somebody else, of doing something like what Arthur did for Skinner, is really more a reflection of what God continues and has done and continues to do for us. You know, this just came to my mind. It mm -hmm. wasn't in your sermon, that too. But I look at how some of those people in Eastern Europe right now, especially in Poland and um, I forget some of the other countries, right? They're Romania, border, Romania Moldova. Mm -hmm. That are bordering the Ukraine, how they, in many ways, are showing that kind of love. Yes. I mean, these are not relatives. They're not, right. um, you know, people they know. These are but, people that are going to be a drain on their resources. Right, but mm -hmm. they're just opening up their hearts and lives to them. And I, it, it's an amazing... In the midst of all that terrible stuff that's happening, you know, there's some positive stuff when you see how some of these people are responding so well. You know, but, it's amazing because, oh, go ahead. Tom. I was just going to say, to kind of piggyback on that, I think, um, you know, the late, great Mr. Rogers. Oh, <laughs> yes. yes. Um, you know, has this quote of, like, looking for the helpers in these, like, sort of um, hard situations. And I think whenever you take time to focus on that, either in your daily life or on these bigger scale sort of um, disruptions that we're seeing, it, it really does kind of show you God's love in these like margins if you kind of are able to stop and focus on, on that versus kind of like the hard stuff.
Yeah, and you know that is because you could really just focus on the destruction and the war and mm. focus on your hatred for like Putin who's kind of single-handedly making this happen. Or you can look at the way people are responding. Because let's not forget, Romania, Moldo- Moldova, 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 so, Moldova, and Poland, they're not the richest of countries. No, no. And yet these people are taking in hundreds of thousands of refugees, providing food, shelter, care, medical attention to them, um, and really not going to get much in return. And I just goes to show that they're the vast majority of people, I have to remind people of this all the time, the vast majority of people are good the vast majority of the time. Mm-hmm. Right? There is evil in the world. There is bad in the world. But we have to remember that God is still actively at work in the world through us and through so many other people. Mm-hmm. And that is why uh, we're, people are able to respond the way they are because they receive from God and then I think they're able to share. And that's because here's one of the, and this is kind of the next point in the sermon, but it's such an important point. Not only does it bring resilience to other people when you say, I believe in you, I believe in you enough, I care for you enough to just to help you. Uh, sometimes whether it's going to, and this is the hard part, whether it, I am sure it's going to do any good or not, I still believe in you. It builds resilience in your life too because yep. what it does is it allows you to tap a little bit more into the love that God has for you. And it, 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 anything you can do to tap into that is going to only strengthen that bond, that relationship, and going to bring more resilience and strength into your life as well. Yep. Um, Pastor Jim, through Krista, commented, prodigal equals extravagant, and um, he likes to call it the parable of the prodigal father. Ooh. Parable of the extravagant father. I like that. And you mentioned it earlier, because sometimes it's referred to as the parable of the lost son, son, right? The lost son, huh? Yeah. And I think that, like, whenever you hear it, the lost son, it's like, oh, it's a little bit more relatable. Right, because prodigal, you're like, what's happening? Now we know, thanks to Pastor Jim. But, but I mean, I love that, too, because God's love, as we see in the Father in the story, is totally extravagant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The son was extravagant in his spending and getting rid of it, but the love of the Father was so extravagant. And what you don't hear about the story is that the son went on to become uh, a raging alcoholic and dropped out of the family anyway. No, I'm kidding. That's it. <laughs> That was that just a bad neat. attempt yeah, at a joke. We're editing that out. <laughs> deeper. Just, cut, 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 cut. Well, that's the thing, too, because here's the thing. What if mm-hmm. Arthur's gift to Skinner had not saved his life? What if the sulfonide tablets and the limes wouldn't have worked? What if the Japanese guard would have just pocketed the ring and walked away? Would that have negated the gift that he gave to his friend? It would not have. Yeah. What if... What if the lost son develops an addiction and goes back into that addiction. Does it negate the gift that the father gives to the lost son? No. It does not. Because we, we don't know what happened. Right. In, I mean, it's a story, obviously. But you're right. Yeah, yeah. and s- some people think, well, if before, I, before I do something for somebody, I have to know it's really going to do them some good. And the short answer is no, you don't. Um, you know, I told, I've said this before. The, I had a pastor mentor of mine we had a discussion about the people to beg at the street corners. I mean, I did street ministry in San Francisco when I was in seminary in Berkeley. I understand the majority of the people that are on the street are either addicted to drugs or to alcohol, or they have mental illness, or they have some combination of those. And so most of the time, they're not going to use what you give them for good. But it doesn't matter. You don't give to them 
for what it's going to do for them. You give to them for what it's going to do for you. And I always thought that that was a really good, uh, good comment. Well, it's yeah. not like your $5 is going to get them a house. Right. Either. Right. <laughs> right. But it might get them a meal or it might yeah. just show, it might just show them that, if you, especially if you make eye contact with them and make say a God bless you or, you know, or something like that, that not everybody's given up on them. Didn't you say that in your sermon that you'd recently given something to somebody and yeah. you said God bless you? Hey, well, he's, you know, and he was, he responded, God bless you. And I was like, no, God bless you. And he just kind of stopped. Oh. And he looked at me, and his eyes got real big like that got his attention. I think that probably meant more to him than the little uh, bag. You know, we had our youth put together these, what are they called? There's a term for them. Blessing bags. Blessing bags yes. that have water and food and socks and um, some things in them that sometimes homeless people can use. So, um, yeah. Anyway. I have a question, though, because I understand what you're saying about it building our resilience and, and the resilience of others. But can't it feel hard to stay resilient when you've, like, in the example of a family member who just keeps returning to their addiction? I mean, you do kind of get to a point where you feel like, ugh, what is the point of this? And that's where it's like, well, then what? Well, and then that's where you get into the very difficult part of how do you continue to believe in them and love them without enabling them? And that's Mm. that is always... It always depends on the situation and the person. Obviously, you can't keep giving them money. Um, you know, obviously, you can't let them stay in your house because, especially if they start stealing your stuff. But you can continue to stay in touch with them and let them know that if and when they ever decide to get help for their addiction, that you're going to be there to support them for that. You can continue to try to seek to find ways to get them help for their addictions. Um, but you, you do have to put up some of those boundaries um, that don't allow them. Don't enable them and don't allow them to continue to take advantage of you and or of others, which is tough. What did Connie say there? I can't quite um, The but. Ukrainians uh, share that they never thought they would be refugees. They did not want to leave or lo- right. lose their homes. Yep. I was just going to say, too, on the resilience. I think um, what can give us resilience in some of those situations is, is the hope that we can get from other st- Mm-hmm. stories or other experiences yeah. and I think that is important to remember that um, sometimes we can kind of get funnel vision on our or tunnel vision I guess on our like whatever situation we're focusing on whether it's a personal one or even these bigger ones but um, you know there can be hope found in other examples that were very similar to that and I yeah. think that can kind of help keep us mm-hmm. resilient in those hard times, too. Totally agree, because, I, I, I mean, I think the story Pastor Don shared, and we've talked about Skinner and his, his buddy Arthur, I, I mean, that's a powerful story mm-hmm. that can inform us and go, mm-hmm. you know what, I need to do something like that mm-hmm. for someone else. I mean, the fact they had no idea if it was going to make a difference. And it, you're in a situation like that, how desperate are you, knowing that, you could get sick. You could. You could they're going to starve you, and you give up your one source, your one kind of fallback option mm-hmm. for a person that you don't know whether or not it's going to do them any good. Yeah, that's that's a good, amazing reminder. Um, but that's what we're called to do. And sometimes caring is uncomfortable. You know, we take those that group of people to Mexico. Uh, that's it's a little uncomfortable. Um, we sleep in tents. Uh, we work really hard during the day and uh, it's you know it's kind of a camping working type of experience and a lot of people don't go because it is terribly uncomfortable but it is also one of the most powerful weeks 
that most of those people experience in their lives um, because they go and they put themselves in a difficult, uncomfortable situation and do something incredibly good for somebody else. Uh, and it is, it is just almost 100%, I'd say probably more in the 80 to 90% range, people will say that is one of the most impactful weeks of their, of their lives. So it's not easy to do the right thing. It's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's uncomfortable financially, sometimes it's uncomfortable physically, and sometimes it's uncomfortable emotionally. But we're still called to do it. You ended your message with three things. Three simple ways um, to share what God has first given you. Number one. And grow in your resilience. Listen up, people. What? Listen up. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I wish somebody would have told me that when I was younger. (laughs) I have a temper, still do, but it was much more out of control when I was younger. And that temper caused a lot of hardship for a lot of people, myself included. I wish I would have learned how to keep my mouth shut and listen more earlier. I'm very good at it now. (laughs) How about number two? Better at it. (laughs) Sometimes we just need to listen. But sometimes we also need to speak. Sometimes we have to speak up. We have to tell somebody that we haven't given up on them, that we believe in them. Proverbs 18, 21. Death or life are in the power of the tongue. Uh, uh, Proverbs and James talk a lot about the power of the tongue, just how the spoken word can be very life-giving or very life-destroying. You know, to take something out of the current events, the female journalist in Russia mm-hmm. who stood behind her the anchor with the sign saying yes. I mean talking They're about somebody speaking up mm-hmm. knowing you're probably going to jail mm-hmm. or worse or in worse. Russia and yet you know what I read she said is I, I, I couldn't help but say anything I needed to do something that's such a great example because that is going to build resilience for some of those people in mm-hmm. Russia who are kind of uncertain and aren't really buying into a lot of that propaganda. Yeah. And there's been a lot of people in Russia who have been protesting. I mean, mm-hmm. thousands and thousands have been arrested mm-hmm. because they've spoken up mm-hmm. in the midst of the injustice. Yeah. You, you, sometimes you have to speak up, and it is uncomfortable uh, so often. But like when you see racism or bigotry, mm-hmm. uh, it's hard. I've got members of my own family you know, we all have racism and bigotry to some some level. I have some of it myself too, but I have some in my family that are ter- terribly bigoted. Um, and man, how do you speak lovingly into that situation when you they start to spouse their they start to spout their nonsense? Um, first, you listen. First, you listen. <laughs> Don't get angry. <laughs> Don't get angry. Don't lash back. Don't make yourself a jerk. You know, hurt people. Hurt people. Don't. Uh, don't hurt them because uh, they're not going to listen to you. Yeah, that's, but at times you, you, yeah. you do have to speak up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to say the right thing. Ephesians 4.29, let me just share. Paul knew this very well. He said, when you talk, do not say harmful things. So this idea of speaking up, you, you do have to weigh your words. How do you speak up? Mm-hmm. But say what people need, words that will help others become stronger. I would even, it's not in there, but I would even, if I was maybe Paul, I would have, or better, become stronger or better, then what you say will do good to those who listen to you. Um, 
just remember sometimes you do have to speak up and sometimes it's just a word of encouragement i mean we're making it seem like these are the, your, these life and death situations yeah. are speaking into bigotry or racism which sometimes that needs to be done that's how change happens but Sometimes it's just somebody who's really going through a hard time and you have to speak up and let them know that you're there for them. Mm-hmm. A text, an email, you know, phone call. Yep. Do people still actually call on the phones or is it always just text and emails, Twitters, yeah, I Instagrams? Know why, they, I don't know they, why they call them phones because I, I don't use it for that. <laughs> I think they're only calling to tell you that your car warranty is expired. <laughs> that's the truth. <laughs> yeah, they speak up. Yeah. yeah, or let you know that they have an investment opportunity for you in Africa. They're a prince of some African country and they just need few hundred thousand dollars to help them <laughs> get their money out so yes be sure that you're using your your words uh, but sometimes you don't need to use your words sometimes you just need to use your presence and that's mm-hmm. the last one is yeah. just show up yeah. you know and pastor scott you went through that yep. training in seminary i think it's what between your sophomore and junior year yeah well i did it differently but oh, right. uh, okay <laughs> but but what i was taught the word the phrase they used at my seminary was a ministry of presence that sometimes when you're in the hospital or in a, in a um, hospice uh, situation hospice, yeah. or something to it, that the ministry of presence is just being there. It's showing up. Because people go, I don't know what to say. And sometimes you don't need to say anything. You just yeah. need to be there. Mm-hmm. And I think, of, I, I think of, we've had a number of funerals this year. And the number of times I've heard family members tell Somebody who came, I'm so glad you showed up. Mm-hmm. And I, it, because their presence meant so much. Mm-hmm. When we start funerals, I'll just tell people that are there, I'm glad you're here because this is a funeral is a time to remember, um, celebrate their life, but also allow people to grieve. And it's better to grieve in, in community mm-hmm. than to just grieve by yourself. Yep. So uh, it's so funny. I remember one of my first, I uh, was in the hospital. And so they train you a little bit. They, you know, you have some feedback, a few, few weeks of classes and so forth. And then they put you in, they just turn you loose in a hospital. At least that's the way it was in our setting. And they give you a floor. And these are people that you need to, that could use a visit. I walked into this one and it was a younger kid. Yeah, I was, he wasn't that much younger than me. I was a young kid. I was only 22 or three at the time. It was like a 17-year-old kid who had just been told that day that he had some kind of incurable cancer and he had like months to live. Mm. I remember walking in, he was by himself, his family wasn't there. And I started asking questions and he really wasn't talking, but he finally just said, yeah, I just found out I'm gonna die. I got about two months to live. Wow. And I was so uncomfortable with silence, I tried to speak into that silence and it just, let's just say it didn't go well. It was probably one of the most uncomfortable situations I have been in. And uh, I walked out of that room feeling horrible, I think I walked out of that room with him feeling worse than when I walked in. Uh, and probably what I should have just done is just sat there and said, I'm really sorry. Can I have a prayer? Can I pray with you? Uh, but instead I tried to tell him, don't give up, gotta, you know, whatever. It's, it's nonsense I spouted at the time. Sometimes you just need to be there. Yep. Um, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I, I almost wanted to go there earlier, but you ended with a quote from Mother Teresa. Yeah. And, and I thought of that, again, with the situation in the Ukraine and the welcoming people, but it's, it's beyond there, too. It's for all of us in our individual lives. And anyway, I'll let you read yeah. it. Because well, here's the thing. We know that Jesus was alive over 2,000 years ago, right? It's 2020. And so uh, it, was, it is that... Uh, during that time, he spoke 
and God sent his son into the world in the flesh. And I think he did that on purpose because human beings relate to other human beings better than relate to maybe some words from a prophet or some words in a book. Um, but then he died, rose again, and ascended into heaven. And so now Jesus is not in the flesh, in the world, except that maybe he is. Hmm. Mother Teresa says it like this, Christ has no body now but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ's compassion must look on the world. Yours are the feet with which Christ goes about doing good. Yours are the hands with which he is to bless us now. You are the feet, the hands, the eyes, and the blessing of Christ in this world. And I think that is some great words to take with you. So as we've gone deeper, the question might be, how can you be Christ to somebody today, tomorrow, and the time ahead? It doesn't even have, sometimes it's just being Christ to the people in your own house. Yep. Mm -hmm. Your own children, your own spouse, your own friends. And when we are, it's going to help build resilience. Amen. Yep. All right. Let's pray. Lord, once again, we are just so thankful for the blessings that we have in our lives. We pray for those who are not able to experience the same blessings that we have. We pray for people who are in war-torn areas like the Ukraine, like Syria, like the West Bank, like Yemen, like so many places around this world. People that are experiencing fear and uncertainty and violence all around them. And we pray for peace, an end to conflict, for the changing of hearts, whether it be the changing of um, Vladimir Putin's heart or other people's hearts that have the power and authority to do something about it. Just work your mighty work, Lord. But we also pray for peace in our own lives, in our own souls, and maybe a little bit closer to home, maybe peace in our families, or peace in a loved one's life who is experiencing an illness or an uncertainty in their life. You are the great peace bringer, and we ask that you would instill in their hearts and lives that peace, or maybe we need to be the ones that you use to bring a little bit of hope and peace into their lives, to just share what you have first given us, to share that love, that presence, that care as well. Continue to use us. Continue to bless Good Samaritan to be a place that makes a difference in our world as well. Thank you for the people who have joined us online. I pray that this little Wednesday community would be a place where people can come to get built up so they can go out into their world to make a difference. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And those of you listening to the podcast, thanks for tuning in. And again, if you want more information about the church or watch some of the sermons, go to goodsamlv.com. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us for this episode of Good News from Good Sam. We ask that you would join us again for our next podcast as we continue to go deeper. And remember to subscribe to the show where you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. And again, I'm Pastor Scott. And I'm Pastor Don. Thanks for listening, and we just hope you have a great day. Amen.